0: All right. Good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. Wow. It's a super busy news day out there today. And we're on top of all these breaking stories for you today on the show. Canada's new vaccine passport for international travel just announced by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and major development here as Canadians return to international travel. Once again, countries requiring proof of vaccination to travel. The new travel passport, vaccine travel passport, just rolled out by Trudeau here in Ottawa. And we'll have the latest for you on that. Also breaking news at this hour, Federal Finance Minister Christian Freeland uh, just announced that many of Canada's COVID uh, recovery and support programs will be allowed to expire as planned this week. There had been a lot of pressure on the government to extend many of these programs. Freeland, though, just announcing that a lot of these programs will wind down as scheduled, including the big one is the CRB, uh, the Canada Recovery Benefit which runs out on October 23rd. Now, here's the news on this, though. Uh, the government bringing in some new and extended funding for new assistance programs that will be rolled out to replace the ones that are expiring. $7.4 billion Canadian in supports of being announced this morning by Chrystia Freeland. Got a great panel standing by to talk about this. Have a listen to this, though, right now. This is the federal finance minister, Chrystia Freeland, here in just in the last few minutes.
1: They understood that it was not only the compassionate thing to do, it was the economically smart thing to do. And they understood that providing support to businesses and workers during
2: lockdowns allowed us all to do the right thing Together.
0: Okay, Christian Freeland there defending some of these programs that are going to wind down and new programs are coming in. All right, let's discuss now with my guests. We got a great panel for you. Jim Stanford, economist with the Center for Future Work. Good morning, Jim
3: good morning mike
0: thanks for being here once again also chris sims on the line bc director of the canadian taxpayers federation good morning chris good morning okay jim let me go to you first uh, breaking news are you just learning it along with all the rest of us here on these programs some of them being wound wound down new ones coming in what do you think of this
3: well i love doing your show mike the news <laughs> breaks as we talk this is yes. great timing
0: yeah instant um, analysis here uh,
3: I, I assumed that they would extend it, to tell you the truth, so I'm surprised that they've, uh, they're allowing the current uh, programs to expire uh, this weekend, in fact, and uh, it sounds like they're going to develop some other kind of program that would be, I guess, a bridge. It sounds like they're, they're not going to keep the full, the full set of protections in place. They'll come in with something that offers people uh, on a transitional basis as we try to get through, hopefully, the last few months of this pandemic.
0: Right. She did announce, Christian Freeland did announce new business supports. So she, she said that employers who can show that they have faced deep and enduring losses during the pandemic will still be able to receive wage and rent subsidies. So the details of that being rolled out. But I wonder if, um, there could be a bit of a political fight over this because NDP leader Jugmeet Singh just yesterday who effectively holds part of the balance of power in this minority parliament here? Uh, he was calling on Trudeau yesterday to keep some of these po- support programs in place, including the CRB. So, Chris Sims, let me play this here for you. This is Jugmeet Singh yesterday calling on Trudeau don't cut these programs. Have a listen here. First and foremost, I, I outlined how important it is for New Democrats that the support that people need continue. And that's the
3: CRB, that, that has to continue. The financial supports that people need have to continue. We know that people are going through a difficult time right now. There are a lot of worries and uncertainty.
0: Okay, it's NDP leader Jagmeet Singh there yesterday calling on Trudeau to extend the CRB program. Uh, that's not happening. Uh, new programs coming in, though. Chris, your thoughts?
1: we'll have to stay high level to look at the details later, but so far it looks like a good thing. Uh, We've been calling now for a while uh, to finally end what she said was supposed to be temporary CRB benefits. And apparently up until October 10th, uh, we'd already paid out around $27 billion with a B uh, to more than 28 million CRB applicants. And so if they can replace that $27 billion in spending with $7 billion in spending, so save around $20 billion and still provide targeted benefits and relief to those folks who are still being affected uh, by these lockdowns and by these shutdowns, then that seems like a, a more tailored and smart way to go.
0: Do you think, Chris, that these programs were too rich, that they were too expensive? I mean, the government had to do something to support people through this crisis, right? But they do you, think they, do you think they
1: went overboard? It's hard to say at this point. Maybe a few years from now when we do a full audit, we'll be able to see if money was well spent in every case. But certainly right at the outset, uh, folks are being thrown out of work uh, through no fault of their own. The government was shutting down their business in some cases. So, yeah, it was up to the government to step up and try to replace some of that lost income. So they had to do something. But they always said it was going to be temporary, and we need this to be temporary. We have negative money right now. We're more than trillion dollars in debt and so it's very important that the finance minister came out today and said that she did what she said she was going to do make this temporary and then tailor it down to the folks who still really need this sort of support
0: okay jim stanford what do you think about these programs winding down and they always were billed as look these are temporary measures and is now the best time though to wind them down
3: Sure. No, you're right. Obviously, this was a pandemic. It was a unique situation. It wasn't just an economic issue. It was a public health issue. Remember, uh, Mike, because we wanted people to stay away from work, um, you know, until it was safe to go back to work until we had the vaccines and the the infections came down. And frankly, we're still not 100 percent there yet. So uh, it was for, for public health to be able to support people financially to, to stay away from work that they brought in these, these programs. So there's no doubt that these programs were going to get phased out. The question is when. There are other countries in the world that uh, cut them off too quick and then ended up back in the soup. Australia is a good example. They're the arguments that, you know, government has to watch its pennies, uh, won the day, and they cut off the benefits, and then lo and behold, they, the worst of COVID was still ahead of them, and they had to, right. uh, with delays, reinvent the whole thing so there was a risk of cutting them off uh, too quickly. So uh, I'll want to see the details of what they're proposing as Mm -hmm. the transition. We still have a pandemic uh, happening. We still have ICUs in Canada that are overflowing. So we cannot snap back to so-called normal. Uh, We are going to have to make sure that people have the financial capacity to stay home, and that will support spending power and the continued recovery from this uh, catastrophe.
0: Okay, Chris Sims, do you think, though, that some of these programs were overly generous, and maybe some people stayed home and didn't work when they really maybe could have worked or they didn't really need the assistance i've talked to lots of employers who just say that they can't find anybody to work there's like a labor shortage out there and people preferred to stay home and collect the serb are you buying that
1: well, it's a great question. We'll have to see, like I said, years from now, hopefully when all of this is over, Knockwood, uh, we'll be able to look back with clarity and know uh, if folks were staying home a bit too much than they should have. Anecdotally, uh, we do hear from businesses and employers uh, here at the CTF who do say, I can't find employees. And I know that folks over at CFIB, Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses, they say the same thing. But the question is there, are people staying home on CERB or have those workers moved on to other forms of employment? Or are they going to school? So we don't know that for sure, if people are staying home and just being on CERB when they don't really need to. Uh, We do know that there is definitely an employee and worker shortage, but we don't know the reason for that.
0: Jim Stanford, what do you think of that?
3: Well, we do know that Canadians aren't staying home from work. We've got hard data on the level of employment, and we are now back to and above the level of employment that was existing before the pandemic hit. So, in aggregate, Canadians are not staying home. Both employment and labor force participation have rebounded to their pre-pandemic levels. Uh, Now, that doesn't mean that some employers aren't having a hard time. They sure are, especially in, say, the hospitality sector. You had a kind of on-again, off-again, start-stop pattern that made it very difficult for them to retain connection with their staff. And frankly, their staff have found better jobs in other sectors. So the restaurant sector is down, but other sectors are up. And that, again, it indicates that people aren't staying home. They're actually looking and finding better jobs. So the challenge for those employers is going to be how do we, you know, rebuild the ties? They're doing it gradually. Uh, they are finding workers. It's not true that they can't. They are finding them. Uh, employment even in hospitality is growing quite quickly, um, but they're going to have to offer a better package to those workers in terms of wages and especially, I think, more steady hours. That's a, c- a critical one for keeping their
0: staff. All right, welcome back to the show as we continue talking about the breaking news at this hour. A lot of the major COVID relief programs brought in by the federal government will expire as scheduled later this week, including the CRB, the Canada Recovery Benefit. Federal Finance Minister Christopher Freeland saying some new targeted programs will be put in place to take their place. My guests are Jim Stanford, Center for Future Work, Chris Sims canadian taxpayers federation phone me on this now tell me what you think is now the time to shut these programs down or do you think it's too soon 604-280-9898 is the number star 9898 toll free in your cell sean calling from south surrey hey sean
4: yeah hey it's definitely time for these programs to end i mean myself i'm a specialized electrician i've been advertising for weeks Uh, at 40 bucks an hour to try and hire someone, I've had no bites. And my brother is the general manager of a Canadian tire. And he's been telling me that, you know, he's, uh, hiring people who are like new to the workforce and they come and work for him for like a week to 10 days and then say, yeah, this job's too hard. I'm going to go back on CERB. It's easier. And they literally bail. His turnover is like three employees a week right now, where it used to be like three employees every two months.
0: Okay, do you think do you think that's that's very interesting, Sean? Do you think it's the same situation with at your place of business? I mean, you're offering a job for what did you say, forty bucks an hour?
4: Forty bucks an hour for someone who can maintain a steady rate of breathing and hold a drill, (laughs) and I can't get someone.
0: Well, why do you think that is?
4: Uh, you know, to be honest, in my industry, there's a little bit more to it. It's not just the serp thing. Uh, we're not training you know the people at school for this stuff. Um, but for, you know, the regular, you know, minimum wage employees, service employees for, you know, the fast food restaurants, the Canadian Tires, the Walmarts, for them to be offering, you know, $18, 19 an hour, you know, for, for exactly the same type of employee I'm looking for and not being able to retain them because serve is more attractive, there, there's a problem there.
0: Okay, thank you for the call. Jim Stanford, what do you think of that?
3: Well, again, I sympathize with uh, with employers trying to find people. That's just kind of the nature of the job. But it's absolutely wrong to say this is because of the CERB. And anyone who thinks that the elimination of these programs tomorrow is going to magically solve the whole problem is going to be very disappointed on Monday because they're still going to have that problem. The reality is there aren't that many people sitting home collecting any of these benefits. The CERB itself hasn't existed for a month. Most people who are on the CRB have expired their benefits, and the total level of employment is higher. So there's an urban myth out there that comes from this tough love idea that people are lazy and have to be kicked in the pants to work, and it just isn't true.
0: So so you think, therefore, that when the CRB is allowed to expire come Monday morning, you don't think there's going to be like a, all of a no. sudden there'll be millions of work, people out there looking for work, no, I need a job not. down. And okay.
3: we've got evidence uh, from the U.S. where they cut off all the programs uh, earlier in the summer that that doesn't happen. In fact, their participation went down, not up. And we've done a, a better job in Canada uh, with the jobs recovery, in part because we supported human beings rather than focusing on this tough love, kick him in the pants idea.
0: Chris Sims, what do you think?
1: Well, we think that you're going to have to wait for the data to come out after it's actually gone, because at this point it's still theoretical, and hearing from Sean saying that he's having that much trouble hiring somebody for $40 an hour is alarming. So if if what Jim is saying is true, I guess it'll bear fruit. We'll see it in the details when this program actually ends. I hope that that hasn't been the case, and that people haven't been working for a little bit and then deciding to go back on CERB. That doesn't help anybody, including the worker themselves themselves. And again, this stuff does need to end. It's good that it's ending today. They spent around $27 billion on it. Just to give you an idea, because that's a crazy number, we would be able to pay 43,000 BC paramedics full-time salaries for 10 years with that, or pay the population of Courtney and Comox $65,000 a year for 10 years. That's how much money they spent on it. Okay,
0: but you but you said earlier, though, Chris, uh, you you think you did think the government had to do something, though? They
1: did. They right? absolutely had to yeah. do something because it was a bloody disaster and a crisis, and it wasn't the employer's fault, the business owner's fault, or the workers' fault that they were being thrown out of work. But do what we're think, saying is, yes, now is good time to wind this down.
0: Right. And do you think there should be an audit of all these programs now to see, you know, where the money went? And was oh, absolutely. It, yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. We need, and like, no matter who you vote for, uh, you want to have transparency and accountability. Of course, there should be audits.
0: Thirty seconds, Jim Stanford.
3: I just uh, checked Chris's math. If you're going to pay 40,000 paramedics for 10 years with that amount, you're paying them $6,750 a year. You'll definitely have a labor shortage. No, it's 65000
1: It's 65000 a year, which is their steady amount, not the $2 an hour or whatever that they're okay. getting part-time.
3: Yeah, but at any rate, we've, we've, got to fight, we've got to support people to get back to work. We've got to train them. We've got to pay them well, and that's the way to go.
0: All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the contest for the B.C. Liberal Party leadership. My guest is Kevin Falcon. He's running for the job. He's B.C.'s former Liberal Finance Minister. He's a former Transportation Minister. I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Kevin, thank you for coming on today. Hey, thanks for having me again, Mike. Okay, you bet. We've talked a lot here on the show over the last week or so about the Massey Tunnel, the chronically congested and clogged uh, Massey Tunnel, one of the worst traffic bottlenecks in the Lower Mainland. And the plan by the existing NDP government now to build a new tunnel, a new tunnel in the Fraser River, uh, to replace the the current tunnel instead of the bridge, the 10-lane bridge that the Liberal Party wanted to build previously. What are your thoughts on that going forward? And also the fact that uh, a lot of the information and the cost of this project has been blacked out in some of the documents that have come out. Your thoughts?
5: Well, Mike, I'll tell you, um, in in the whole history of really dumb infrastructure decisions, this one will end up ranking up there. rate, right with the NDP's Fast Ferries, I'll tell you right now, it is unbelievable to me that we are going to have to wait another almost 10 years for them to produce an eight-lane tunnel, which when you take away the two lanes dedicated to buses, will give the commuters the exact same number of lanes they have today when they're using the counterflow, which is three lanes in each direction. It will cost $2 billion more, uh, but I guarantee you that is a low number, and that is why they've released information that redacts all of the key information that would talk about the summary of risks, the value for money info, all the basic information the public deserves and expects before plunging ahead with such a stupid decision. And I'm sorry to speak so bluntly, but this is really just a really bad decision. And you compare that with the BC Liberal Bridge that was put in place that would have opened up by next summer that cost $900 million below the $3.5 billion budget. You'll recall, Mike, when I was on your show last time, that you had uh, Fleming, Rob Fleming, the transportation minister, come on your show and said, I was wrong that there was no procurement process, I made all that up. That is a flagrant lie. We know that because there was a full procurement process and an an award that was was being made to, to the winning bidder. For the and bridge.
0: It just, you're saying you guys did... Yeah, he said, oh, they never yes. put this out for tender to build a bridge. Exactly, well, you're, you're, and that's yeah.
5: completely false. And there's lots of information to show that it's completely false. But why Why do they do this? Why is it just... I, I Like, it, it, it just makes no sense at all. A 10-lane bridge with two lanes dedicated to, to rapid buses would leave four new lanes in each direction plus 25 kilometers of widening on the 99 plus, and most importantly, it was designed to allow for rapid transit so you right. could connect the Bridgeport station all the way through to South Surrey in the future. I mean, it's just yeah. mind-boggling.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the one that really jumps out at me, is uh, the bridge was designed, you could put SkyTrain over it, you could put an LRT train over it, and you don't have that capacity with this bridge. But speaking Not of well. speaking of Rob Fleming, uh, the BC Transportation Minister, he was a guest on the show a few days ago, and we talked about this issue, and, and here he is explaining why your bridge he says your bridge was a bad idea and then i'll get your thoughts so here's rob fleming on that christy clark
5: came in and said 10 lane mega bridge 2.8 kilometers long dominating the skyline of an area of metro vancouver that's you know just a few feet above sea level um that would be the only horizon in vista you'd see for miles and it would dump traffic uh, onto a, a more uh, create more congestion dump traffic just down the road a little ways and we said look we we hear you mayors and Uh, metro vancouver elected representatives we we created a task force Uh, the task force led to the creation of the business case review that we released uh, this week Uh, we made an announcement in in august we had the chiefs of the Musqueam and awesome with us so we've worked really hard as a government to um, to create a consensus about the type
6: of project we want
0: okay so basically he was saying your bridge was going to be an eyesore that all the local mayors didn't like and that's why they canceled it your thoughts
5: well, th- th- this is possibly the worst rationale I have ever heard. I mean, let's be clear. He needs to get off Vancouver Island and come over and actually talk to people that drive through that tunnel every day. Ask them what they think. And I can tell you all the mayors weren't opposed to it. The mayor of Delta was very supportive. The mayor of Richmond apparently opposed it. But listen, if I, when I was transportation minister, made my decisions on the basis of whether mayors were opposed, there would be no Canada line. There would be no Evergreen line. There would be no Portman Bridge. There would be no Pitt River Bridge. There's always opposition to major projects. And if the the decision is going to be we cancel it because there's some opposition from a mayor here or there, then we're not going to get anything built. But the the problem is he's dodging the real issue. They are going to spend $2 billion more, take another decade, build a totally insufficient crossing with the same number of lanes we have today with no ability for rapid transit. That's the decision they're going to have to live with. It's appallingly bad, but the only good news, Mike, is this. It will take them years. They will be stuck in the environmental assessment process for years. They will never get this bridge started, and that's the good news, because should I become premier of this province, I will stop them moving forward because nothing will have been done yet. They will not have been able to start that project. I will dust off the work that's already been done and get going on that 10 lane bridge.
0: Oh, okay, I'm glad you brought that up, because let me make sure I got you clearly on the record here. So you're saying if you win the Liberal leadership... You become Premier British Columbia, uh, you'll cancel this this new Massey tunnel and build the bridge instead. As
5: long as they haven't plunged a ton of money into it and got it started, which I am highly confident they will not have been able to do because they will be stuck in and mired in the environmental assessment process. the answer is yes, I will cancel it.
0: Okay, that's it very interesting. let me ask you about that environmental process because I think this is another sort of interesting wild card. In this, with this project, I mean, you're talking about putting a, this eight-lane tunnel into this river that has threatened salmon, salmon stocks migrating through this river. you got threatened sturgeon. I mean, there's all kinds of environmental considerations with the Fraser River. I mean, what do you think about putting a tunnel in there and uh, the environmental impact of that?
5: From an environmental point of view, it is as close to insanity as you can possibly imagine. Look, I get when the original bridge was built, the four-lane tunnel, Well, it was built in 1959. Back then, you know, you could do almost anything. Nobody thought about the environment. But today, who really thinks that dumping eight massive concrete tubes into the Fraser River is not going to have a massive impact on the environment, on the estuary, on the salmon and sturgeon? I mean, it's just absolutely appalling, which is why I say that they will be They will be caught up and mired in environmental assessment through the federal environmental assessment process for years to come. Nothing will get advanced on this project, I can guarantee you. Uh, The BC Liberals with their bridge, I wasn't there. Remember, I was in the private sector, but, but they went ahead and did years of consultation, not just with mayors, but on the environment, with farmers. Uh, it with in terms of any impacts that, that may happen on the river, et cetera, And that's why they ultimately selected the 10-lane overland bridge. It had okay. far less environmental impact.
0: Okay, speaking to Kevin Falcon, former BC Finance Minister, he's running to be the next BC Liberal leader. Kevin, where do you stand on the Aaron Gunn question? Aaron Gunn, controversial uh, right-wing commentator on Facebook and social media he says he wants to run for the liberal leadership against you we have seen some of your competitors for this job come out and on this michael lee says aaron gunn has intolerant views he should not be allowed to run for the liberal leadership what do you think about this guy should he be allowed to run
5: well look i i don't honestly know aaron gunn to the best of my knowledge i've never met him i've been involved in this party for over 25 years i don't believe i've ever seen him at anything uh it's possible he has been i've never seen him but here's the issue it's not up to leadership candidates to decide who their competitors are going to be. That's why we have a party. That's why we have a leadership organizing committee, because anybody that wants to become a leader of this party has to go through a vetting process. And it's very extensive, believe me. It goes into your ba- into your financial past, then goes into your credit history. It goes into your things that you've said, you know, publicly and, and commentaries on, on social media, et cetera. So their job is to vet all the candidates like myself, like they did with Michael Lee and Ellis Ross and others, and determine whether they're appropriate to run for the leadership of this party, and I'll let them do their job.
0: Okay, well, Michael Lee, I'm taking a look at Michael Lee's tweet the other day about this. He says the B.C. Liberal Party has a responsibility to not give a platform to intolerant views like those shared by Aaron Gunn. And, you know, he has criticized... Uh, gender identity training at UBC's med school, for example. He's come out against vaccine passports. Let me play a clip here for you uh, from him, Kevin. Get your thoughts. Aaron Gunn, he says he wants to be the liberal leader on vaccine passports. Let's have a listen here. I believe the move by the B.C. government mandate vaccine passports for all British Columbians is the wrong decision and one that will sow division, set a very dangerous precedent,
4: and accomplish very little.
0: Okay, so you're prepared to run against this guy if he's approved by the party. You're not calling on the party to block him,
4: correct? No, I, I,
5: not at all. I don't talk yeah. to the party about blocking or approving anybody. That's their decision. I'm running to be leader of this party. I'll run against anyone else that the party approves and puts into this party, but I'm not going to speculate on people that say they're running and, and, and want to run, et cetera, until they become a vetted candidate. There's just absolutely yeah. no point. I don't, know the, I, I don't know Aaron Gunn at all
0: okay well we'll see where it goes from here his uh leadership bid has still not been approved by the party i just checked on that this morning uh kevin falcon thank you for your time today well, mike
5: i wish i could have had a few minutes to go on about the freedom of information and the fact that the NDP is well, really okay. trying to shut down
0: well really quickly what are your thoughts on that
5: well i look i i tell you i'm really appalled by this there is the lack of transparency and cover-up in this government is becoming a theme. I think it's why it's breeded a lot of distrust with respect to, to health rules and issues around COVID. Uh, just last week, they, they there was another redacted report that covered up the reasons for COVID outbreaks in hospitals. Now, they're talking about charging a fee just so that journalists and, and individuals can get information about what their own government is up to. I noted God. that the premier's office has excluded the premier's office from covering. This is really bad stuff, and it's totally unacceptable. And, and I'll tell you right now, they should be held accountable for trying to hide the information from the public. It's not right.
0: Kevin, thanks for coming on.
5: Thanks very much, Mike.
0: All right, welcome back to the show. Back uh, behind the microphone after the earthquake drill here at the uh, BC Legislature in Victoria, where I'm speaking to you now from the CKNW studio. It all went uh, all went well, and we're all back to normal here. Knowing your earthquake uh, process very important in British Columbia, so make sure you keep that in mind. Always have your earthquake kit at your home and also a plan if and when one does hit in the future okay back to the show now let's talk about the crime spikes that we're seeing in some vancouver neighborhoods we've talked a lot about this on the show uh, we've talked to business owners and residents and neighborhoods uh, like the west end the Granville business district Gastown, Town. Heard a lot of stories about broken windows, vandalism, shoplifting in some of these neighborhoods. Vancouver police stepping up patrols in response, but there's still a lot of calls uh, to do more. Let's discuss now with my guest, Uva Bowl. Uva is the former owner of the Bauhaus restaurant in Gastown. He is a filmmaker. Uh, his, his movies include Blood Rain and rampage president down i'm very pleased to welcome you to the show uva thank you for coming on today yeah hi how are you (laughs) i'm doing great thanks a lot for doing this uh i know you're originally from germany but do you live in vancouver now
2: yes my wife is from vancouver and the kids are there i'm right now talking to you from germany because i have to be here for a business matter but we're living on the the west side
0: Okay, cool. Let's talk about your restaurant, and people may remember the Bauhaus restaurant in Gastown, and I know it was very well-reviewed and a popular restaurant. When did you open that restaurant?
2: So we signed the lease 2014, Uh, we opened 2015, and we closed 2020 um and couldn't uh, basically reopen because there there was a dispute with the landlord for a longer time and basically we had to give up uh, the location okay. so uh, but i was like 5 years um yeah almost daily in 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 gastown and saw this kind of decline what what happens in this part of the town um gastown Chinatown, strascona so um, we had more and more break-ins, robberies, uh, like just horrible situations. And I felt now writing a letter to the mayor what triggered a lot of uh, discussions. I mean, I've, I got so many emails about it I couldn't even answer them all. Um, when I when I called that situation out, that it, it needs action. We cannot just con- like continue like this.
0: Right, yeah, you've written a mayor to Van- you've written a letter to Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart pointing out some of the problems that you and your 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 business partners experienced and your wife when you're running this restaurant and calling for for action here in the neighborhood. So when you go back to 2015 when you originally opened the Bauhaus restaurant, what was the neighborhood like there? Was I mean was there problems right from the start or is, did it get worse over time?
2: Yeah, so it, of course there was homelessness and and in Gastown, but um it looked like uh with the uh the blood alley was supposed to get uh on the fast track uh changed uh renovated and um there was a lot of planning the uh, um, going on in regards of that that gas town will turn back to the tourism center of of downtown in a way uh as as it was before but then in the in the five years um it got really horrible worse. There were more and more homeless, more and more drug addicts. With the fentanyl crisis coming, with people getting reanimated on on the sidewalks uh, uh, left and right. And I, as a filmmaker, 2019, I produced a, a, a documentary. The decline is the title. Um, It was at the Whistler Film Festival. I I think it's on iTunes or something. But but, uh, it it was about, like, really facing the problem and discussing the problem also with uh, scientists. And um, I hoped really, not because of my documentary, based on the the reality, that there will be an effort from from the, the province, from the city, uh, to to clear that problem and and, and what they do no. is with the with the safe injection sites and with the uh, decriminalisation of, of drugs, it's just not enough. I, I don't think it works. I think it creates actually more people coming into Vancouver and more people uh, sitting on on five blocks uh, mm. to from from Hastings and Main Street. It, it doesn't lead to that the residents and the actually business people and people that live there have, have a life. I mean, yeah. it destroys the neighborhood. It destroys uh, a community. Um, and, 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 of course, they are homeless. They, they are just unlucky people. They need housing. I totally agree. And, and they are, right. But they are also drug addicts. They are criminals. And there is a lot of crime.
0: And, yeah, well, let's, uh, well, let's talk. Let's talk
2: like a, if, you, if you give free drugs to everybody, it doesn't mean that they're not going still on the streets and getting illegal drugs additional.
0: Okay, let's talk you know, a little I,
2: bit. I of, talked to an ambulance driver. He said he reanimated the same person in one day three times. Huh. And it's just insanity
0: okay let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you and your wife experienced while you were running the restaurant in gastown like you know you outlined some of this in your letter to the mayor but you experienced some, um, like at the restaurant were there robberies or there was vandalism can you talk a little bit about that about what was happening
2: yeah we had we had various robberies one is like during the daytime uh, because the as you can imagine, restaurant the doors are open because at daytime you get deliveries, you get food deliveries and whatsoever. So a guy came in, went upstairs, <laughs> stole money and the computer and walked out, and nobody from the kitchen paid any attention, because he thought, they thought he's a delivery guy or oh. checking the bar or whatsoever. Then we had a guy coming in with an with a, uh, axe and robbing the, an iPad and threatening people. And uh, that was like almost a physical alteration. It, it, that was scary. That guy came back another day with a knife, uh, threatened everybody with a knife. And I mean, what happens then, right? So you, you're lucky that you didn't get stabbed, then the the, the person runs around, r- runs out, and the police is not really f- trying to find him on, on the sidewalk. Another guy uh, uh, stole our iPad from the hostess stand, and then we called the iPad, so it was ringing, and the police heard it ringing 100 meters away and just went to the guy and took the iPad back. Um, But the worst thing was, of course, uh, there was a a person throwing out of a window on top of my wife's car a dead. So uh, the police whoa. came, and I mean, there was a dead body on the car, and she basically removed the body and said uh, she should drive through a car wash.
0: And whoa, there were, like, whoa. not only okay. blood, there were, like, okay.
2: hey, parts hey. and stuff.
0: Hang on a second. This, this sounds like it's a scene from one of your movies. Like,
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. So, 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 I, so you're saying... I cannot saying... make it up. It's like Halloween, or Friday the 13th, or, or My House of the Dead film, Um and that is the thing it's like and I have I have the feeling I had various talks to some city councillors over the years and uh, I have the feeling that they put the 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 treatment in a way or the, the handling of the East Hastings homeless and drug addicts above uh, the people that actually want to have a life and they want to live there and, and work there we had this, a, a cook who brought the garbage out in the back alley uh, because all the big garbage containers are in that in that uh, back alleys and um, he stepped in a needle and was yeah. bleeding and so he had to go to the hospital he did all the tests so by he didn't get a, a disease didn't get AIDS or something and um, but he said I will never bring the garbage back out so um, let me let me, it let me ask you accumulated you know like yeah. it just accumulated to uh, mayor. Do something like you need Mm. a real, I I think what we need here is a real vision with rehab centers getting re, like reopened, maybe Riverview reopened or new built rehab centers where you can treat people for a longer time, getting them uh, clean for real and uh, so that they don't getting like from the hospital back to the street, back to a free uh, uh, whatever the Baltimore Hotel and all that hotels the city bought L- to get let me in ask- a room. I mean, if you're a mass addict, what do you do in that room? You, okay, you will not Uva. clean that room. You will not keep that room up. You will destroy that room.
0: Okay, Uva. let and, me ask you uh, this. Let me ask you this. There is no yeah.
2: plan how right. to handle that situation in the city of Vancouver?
0: Let me ask you this: I'm speaking to Uva Vol- Vol- Ball. He is the former owner of the Bauhaus restaurant in Gastown, and we're talking about some of the problems in that neighborhood. And Uva uh, is a filmmaker uh, who's made films around the world. Like you've, like you're in Germany right now. You've been to you've been to cities all around the world. You live in Vancouver now. Like when and a lot of big cities have got these problems when you How do you compare Vancouver to say other cities you visited like would you say Vancouver is outside the norm in big cities when it comes to these problems like it's worse in Vancouver would you say
2: um, Yes, because for example, the homelessness in Los Angeles, there are a lot of homeless, but where are they? They are like in tents besides like the freeway the four or five or the the one ten They're not like on the shopping mall uh on, on, on Ocean Drive. You know, it's in, in Beverly Hills. But that is what it is in Vancouver. I saw a lot of homelessness uh, around the world and, in uh, uh, San Francisco, of course, is one of the, the worst things sure. uh, uh, I saw. But, but in Vancouver, I mean, we have to be aware Vancouver is a tourist city. Vancouver is a small city. Downtown is small. Berlin, for example, is 80 kilometers long. So uh, Berlin is way bigger as Paris, for example. So, and in Berlin, of course you have homeless, but it's 80 kilometers long and you have housing in different quarters of the city and you have like, you know, like you, you go to Berlin to the main railway station and you maybe see 10 people who are sitting there and begging. 10 in Berlin, there are 4.5 million population. So, and in in Vancouver, the people going as tourists From around the world, entering the city, and they're walking into Gastown, and they think they are in in, in a science fiction film. Okay. And that's what I mean. It's like when I was so harsh in my email and said, like, they they have to go. Yeah. And because in the very end, Vancouver has to make a decision. What, what is what, what is Vancouver? What is Vancouver? Is the, the the thing? And and when they opened the roundhouse in Yale Town, well, Yale Town was overwhelmed for a part with with uh, uh, with drug addicts and homeless people. Even in Yale Town, they okay. were spreading over downtown. Okay, uh- Uva, let
0: me let me interrupt let me interrupt you there um, and just say thank you for coming on today to share your your thoughts on it. I know you've got a lot of people talking talking about your letter to the mayor, and uh, I appreciate you uh, sharing your time with us today. Thanks for coming on. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the fast food business in Canada. And I'll admit it. I occasionally like to get a fast food meal. I know it's not a healthy choice, but I figure everything in moderation. The occasional Big Mac or a Whopper is a meal I'll go for sometimes. I haven't been to KFC in a long time, but... I am interested in checking out their chicken sandwich. If you've had the KFC chicken sandwich, please let me know uh, what it's like. The fast food business has gone through some challenging times, just like all restaurants during the pandemic. But check out what some major fast food chains now are starting to uh, how they're starting to adapt and change artificial intelligence. Yes, AI, computer algorithms, smartphone apps, voice recognition software, all on the horizon at your favorite fast food outlet. Check out what's happening at McDonald's in Chicago. They are testing artificial intelligence at several McDonald's drive-thrus there, including voice recognition software to take your order at the drive-thru. Could that expand to other McDonald's? Wendy's. Wendy's just announced a deal with Google Cloud to develop a bunch of advanced software capabilities to improve their customer service. Really interesting stuff. Let's discuss now with my guest, Robert Carter. Robert is one of Canada's experts on the quick service food industry. He's a managing partner and food industry advisor at Stratton Hunter, and I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Robert, thank you for coming on today.
6: Mike, great to chat with you again.
0: Yeah, it's always it's always cool to have you on here because I think it's a very interesting job that you have uh, advising the fast food sector in, in Canada. Or as you always remind you, remind me, quick service is the preferred descriptor, right?
6: Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. quick service, and it's a it's a big industry. It represents over thirty billion dollars a year in the Canadian marketplace. So oh, yeah. Canadians love love spending at the the quick service segment.
0: For sure. Yeah, no, it is huge. It's big money for sure. So let's talk about this artificial intelligence. Let's start with Wendy's. Uh, What's going on with Wendy's and this deal they did with Google?
6: Yeah, this is interesting. You know, and it's funny, the pandemic obviously has changed the business models for many businesses amongst different industries. But historically, technology in the restaurant segment has been very slow to adapt. But with the pandemic really changing a lot of the initiatives through restaurants and whatnot, all of a sudden technology has just accelerated. So what you're seeing happen through Wendy's, and you talked about McDonald's with their AI technology, they're now starting to put more money, more resources, and understanding how these technologies will actually make the consumer user experience much more friendly, and therefore resulting in greater sales overall. So Within the quick service segment, it's all about convenience.
0: Yeah, so if we take a look at um, McDonald's, for example, and the artificial intelligent drive-throughs that they introduced in Chicago, so as I understand that, if you go through to one of these restaurants in the drive-through, you won't—you're not giving your order to a human being. You're talking to a computer. Is that how it works?
6: Yeah, exactly. And so what they're doing is there's a lot of data that's being fed into these systems. So everything from the type of car you're driving, your license plate number, the time of day that you're coming in, a number of different initiatives. And they'll be taking pictures of your license plate so they'll know if you've come in before and what you've ordered previously. And all of this is going to help streamline the ordering process so that when you pull up, they're going to make recommendations that are reflective of who you are as a person
0: okay burger king i was reading about burger king they developed a, an artificial intelligence system that uses a uh, touch screen menu boards uh, in their restaurants i've seen those already you can go into like a mcdonald's i've been into mcdonald's where they got like a touch screen menu this one can recommend items to customers as they're about to order like can some of this ai can they learn from your like your past orders and, yeah, and maybe uh, make, make recommendations
6: Yeah, absolutely. And that's the whole premise here. You know, these companies are becoming much more data savvy. So they're starting to understand exactly, you know, what is the volume of different orders at different day parts and whatnot. And based on a number of, you know, different recognitions from a consumer standpoint, what should they be recommending? So, you know, from a consumer standpoint, what they're going to find is the ordering process is going to be much easier and much more streamlined. And the best way to look at this is, you know, people either love it or hate it. But when you search something on the Internet and then all of a sudden you're getting all these ads for that item, it's going to be the same process. You'll go in, you know, you'll make an order or two and all of a sudden you'll be they'll be making recommendations based on your previous ordering history or similar orders of that type at that day part. Speaking
0: of Robert Carter from Stratton Hunter, he is an expert on the Canadian quick service food industry, artificial intelligence and fast food. What about the actual preparation of the foods like can they can they uh, make robots that will cook your burger
6: yeah they're already there there yeah. there's the burger the burger flipper you know there's the robotic arms system there's even restaurants that have the robots that bring you food to your table so You know, all of this is being accelerated the technology in in this current climate where, you know, we've recognized technology plays a much bigger role from cutting expenses to labor issues to just making things more efficient. So, you know, from my standpoint, it's exciting. You know, the technology in the restaurant industry has been lagging for so many years and all of a sudden it's just exploded and it's become front and center for a lot of these operators. Right.
0: Could it mean, though, that people lose their jobs if their job is replaced by a computer algorithm or, or a robot? I mean, this is, I guess, a lot of this is designed to save on labor costs, right? So you need actual fewer actual humans to run a restaurant.
6: Yeah, you hear, you hear that argument a lot, but the reality of the situation is it does not translate into lost jobs. What it does translate into is greater business efficiency, greater revenue, and the need for more labor overall. There will be shifts in different skill sets for sure. But, you know, you look at the restaurant industry today and we're suffering one of the biggest labor shortages in the history of the Canadian restaurant segment. So this is a segment that is going to require quite a bit of labor moving forward. The type of labor is definitely going to shift. You're going to need more, you know, chief intelligence or technology officers, those types of roles.
0: Okay, I was reading about Wendy's, and I've always been interested in Wendy's marketing because I think it's very clever. Their their presence on social media, like Twitter and stuff, and um, Wendy's rolling out their own limited edition smartphone, um, which was available limited availability, but available in Canada. And I was taking a look at this smartphone, Robert, and it's got the Wendy's logo on it. I mean, it's a cool, <laughs> it's kind of a cool looking phone. Uh, yeah. What's What's the deal with this thing?
6: Yeah, this is great. You know, this is the type of innovation or innovative thinking that needs to happen in this industry. And, you know, if you look at some of the big tech companies and, you know, Facebook's been in the news recently, and Facebook used this type of strategy in emerging countries where they would go in and they didn't have the infrastructure for uh, technology and give people phones so that they could use Facebook. I'm surprised it's taken this long to to actually get a, a foothold, but... You know, with this phone that they're launching, it's got the Wendy's app and it's got the AI built into it. Again, it's just providing that greater convenience for consumers to order directly from the restaurant chain overall. So I I think it's a great idea.
0: Yeah. And they got a lot of interesting sort of buzz on this when they uh, had a limited edition release of this phone in in Canada. And it's an Android phone. They have partnered with Google on this and it's got the Wendy's app on it. You can say, hey, Wendy, to the phone and it will tell you where the where the closest <laughs> Wendy's is and stuff. So, I don't know. It's yeah. kind of innovative, you know. Um, last question for you. Like, w- when we look at the experience of uh, the quick service restaurant business in Canada during the pandemic, and we continue to struggle through this thing going into, you know, well into year two of this, how have restaurants, fast food restaurants done in Canada overall?
6: The restaurant segment's been hit hard, really hard. And, the you know, obviously with the shutdowns and uh, a lot of the changes and restrictions and whatnot, it's been really mishandled by the government in terms of the way that they're addressing the restaurant industry overall. So, you know, for some of the larger chains, particularly within the, the quick service segment, they've got the resources, they've got the the financing and the funding to, to manage through it. It's really the smaller players that I, I feel the worst uh, for because they've just been hit hard but you know consumer preferences um by no choice other than shutdowns were driven to off-premise to you know delivery and whatnot and you know quick service restaurants fared much better than your casual dining restaurants did uh, which relied a lot on people coming in and sitting down but as a general statement overall the industry has been hit hard. It's changed the dynamics of the industry and the business model. But you know, we're starting to see signs of, of recovery, and, and Canadians love their restaurant. More than half of the population go out almost daily pre-pandemic to restaurants. So you know, we'll we'll see a good recovery.
0: Robert, it's always great to have you on. Thank you for coming on the show today.
6: Yeah, great chatting. Take care. Nine one one. Nine
0: one one. What's your emergency? Ah, I'm on a cruise
1: ship. Ah,